You may remain standing for the reading of the Word. It's a long passage, but it's narrative. It's a story, and I will try to read it quickly. Acts chapter 5. And the high priest rose up, and all those that were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theotis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, serve, to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching 
and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. There is almost too much drama in this story. And I'll tell you why it's dramatic. In this particular account of an episode that took place in the primitive church there in Jerusalem, in the early days of the church, it was getting to what we would call a time of critical mass. It was a point in which things were about to tip. Jesus had a small band of followers that followed him throughout Galilee and occasionally into Judea and to Jerusalem. They had gotten the attention of the high priestly party, the Sadducees. They had gotten the attention of the religious people in the temple. Jesus certainly was on the radar of these religious leaders. And we're familiar with the story of Christ, the times he had confrontations, both with the Sadducees, that is the rulers in the temple, the Herodian party, the people that ran the government and supervised all the affairs of the temple and did their best to get along with Rome. And then the other larger party, but less influential in terms of levers of power, and that is the Pharisees, the men who were known more as scholars of the law and were more intent upon piety and godly living. Both of these large parties in Israel had always paid a little attention to the Galileans. But now we had come through a series of events. Jesus spending a week in the temple environs all the way through to his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, where they staked out guards at the sealed tomb. Perhaps this same cadre of men mentioned in our passage as the captain of the temple. It was he or his men at least who had with the Romans brought about the execution of Christ. It was this Sanhedrin that had met this council. It's called here sometime the Senate. It was this council before whom Jesus had appeared first and then to Pilate and Herod and back to the council and back to Pilate and then to Mount Calvary he had been taken. And as the text said when Peter's talking with them, they hanged him. This was the very party, the very group, the very principles. Just a chapter before, they're named. It was Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, that's the royal family of the, of the high priesthood. That's the high priest, the high priest's son-in-law who succeeded him. John, another one that came down the line, and Alexander. This is the top of the top of the top of, of Israel's spiritual, political leadership. They thought they were done with this until these mischievous reports began to be brought into Jerusalem and all around that Jesus was not in that tomb and that he had been seen alive. And you know the story leading up to the time of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances and at Pentecost and then the time that Peter had preached and 2,000 
people had converted, had repented, had come to the Lord, had been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, and had now become believers in Jesus Christ. Just to get a feel for how it's going, kind of keep score, there were only 5,000, approximately 5,000 Pharisees in all of Israel. 5,000. And here the number of disciples had already reached 2,000. The text, if you, we skip quite a bit from, from last week in chapter 3, but all of chapter, rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and into chapter 5 tells us things that have been going on, including prior arrest and prior appearances before the Sanhedrin by the apostles, especially Peter and John, who got in a lot of trouble for healing that lame man that we talked about last week, because one of the things is the lame man had been lame for 40 years, or he was 40 years old, and had been lame since birth. So now things are spectacular. Things are obvious. They don't need news reel reports in that day. People were eyewitnessing everything. It was all concentrated in the temple. Jesus had had his ministry all over the land, most of it in Galilee, but the apostles from the very beginning had tarried in Jerusalem the way Jesus told them to. And all this stuff was happening right there in the holy city, right there in the environs of the temple, right there under the noses of the Sanhedrin and the rulers of Israel. Everything was done. Nothing was done in secret. Everything was right there in front of them. And now the scriptures tell us that the number of disciples had exceeded 5,000. You start thinking about that for a minute. In a small little little, uh, uh, town like Jerusalem was compared to some of the great metropolitan areas, 5,000 confessors, 5,000 people that bore witness, 5,000 martyrs, People that couldn't do anything except what Peter had told them on a prior occasion. We cannot do anything but testify that which we have seen and heard. Miracles and wonders. Let me just give you this one. There's about four summary paragraphs uh, in the text that will sort of tell you how things have been going. This is the third one, and it's the paragraph before the, the passage I just read. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. <laughs> 5,000 plus people? You remember Jesus fed 5,000 on the mountain and it was remarkable. It was the most scary thing that the leaders had ever seen at that time because 5,000 was a large army in the ancient days. And now these, these rulers are looking out there and they're seeing this massive number of people, all Jews, all dedicated people to the synagogue and to the temple. And they had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name that is given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Miracles were being worked in the name of Jesus. It was the name of Jesus. It was that name that had been assigned him by his father, by the angel. when he said, you shall call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And that's what he was doing. And Peter, even in the prior appearance before the Sanhedrin, had, had talked about how this was the fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham. That God was going to promise a blessing. And that blessing was repentance and conversion and salvation to his people, Israel. God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him a great name. And here was this name that was above every name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, they were preaching. 
They were teaching. They were healing and doing marvelous works. And they were packing out the largest venue in town, Solomon's Porch, there on the edge of the temple. And they were teaching and preaching. And the indication was they were doing it pretty much all day long, every day. That's right there in plain view of the religious authorities, the unbelieving authorities. It says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Even though they were 5,000 in number and growing daily, there was a larger number of people that were lookers on and they didn't join with the disciples right away because they had not been converted, but they were watching and they admired and respected what they were seeing happening among the converted multitudes. Just over one more chapter, we'll learn that many of the priests believed and had become part of the church. A great many of priests became obedient to the faith. This was fulfillment of what God had promised the Old Testament priesthood. Remember, the priests didn't have any land. They didn't have any property. God had separated the Levites to himself. And their whole livelihood was just serving the temple and serving the people. And they lived off the tithes and the offerings. And they didn't have anything, no inheritance in the land. Because the Lord said to them, I will be your inheritance. And now here's Christ coming to his people and the Levites that had been teaching and, and, and instructing and performing all the ceremonies, many of them were converting. You know that had to disturb the head of the Levite party to see his priests converting. So what we, the drama we see in this is this incredible, a critical mass that's beginning to take place. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This thing's getting out of control. It's not just Jerusalem. It's those towns in Judea outside Jerusalem now. And the Lord said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part. Right now we're in Jerusalem and we're beginning to spread. That first spread is taking place in Judea, the towns round about. I think it's hard for us sometimes to, to capture what was really happening. What was happening was everything that God had promised Israel was taking place in the day of fulfillment. This was the great and terrible day of the Lord. This was when God's anointed had come to the temple. This is the time when God had poured out his spirit upon his people. This is the time when there were great harvest was being, uh, being brought in. This was a time when God was moving as never before since the days of Moses. And these people that were the heirs of Moses and Aaron, the Levites, knew they had to do something about it. It's always interested me that the very people that tried, captured, tried, convicted, crucified Christ, 
were the descendants of Moses. Remember when Moses struck the rock? And Paul tells us that rock was Christ in the wilderness. That parable had worked itself out in centuries. And now Moses' family, the Levites, had struck the rock. Not just any old rock, the cornerstone. The stone which the builders had rejected. Peter pointed that out in his previous sermon as well. That rejected stone had become a stumbling stone and was laid as the cornerstone for God's people. There was a temple that was starting to be built and it was going to wonderfully and marvelously fulfill and replace and expand and go far beyond the temple in which these events take place. Where were the priest and the headquarters and the altar and and the Holy of Holies and Solomon's porch and all these courtyards and all this wonderful thing. A cornerstone had been laid for a new temple. And that new temple was Christ and all those that belonged to Christ, the church of the living God. The true temple is the church. Each person is a stone, a living stone that's been placed in the temple. And just like those stones have been placed perfectly in the temple without the sound of mallet nor chisel, so it is God was building His church, His temple. And now we had 5,000 stones arranged around the cornerstone. And this was growing up a spiritual house right in front of these, what did it say? Jealous, filled with jealousy. That's what's going on. These descendants of Aaron and Moses, these descendants of Aaron now had turned. And just like they had slaughtered the sacrifices in the temple down through the centuries, these were the same people that slaughtered Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. The Old Testament prophet asks, says, where did you get these wounds? And the answer is, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. It had been betrayal. It had been treachery. It had been plotting. And they had finally crucified him and put a stop. They thought to this movement. Now the name of Jesus was on everyone's lips. Now the name of Jesus was revered. What had been a byword and a curse word and a slander by the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross now had been come, become an appellation and a title of great dignity. That's what the word that's translated in our text that the Lord has made him leader. It really means a prince, an arch ruler. He's a prince and a savior. Whereas they had taken him and crucified him and hung him and buried him, God had raised him up out of that tomb and put him not on a cross, but on a throne. This was the true Christ, the true Messiah. That's what the very last phrase in our text says, and every day in the temple from house to house, the disciples, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching 
Jesus as the Christ. It's interesting to me, teaching and preaching are mentioned, and mentioned together and they're distinct. They're not the same thing, although there's a great amount of overlap. Teaching is instructing and explaining. Preaching is proclaiming, announcing. And the word that's used, that's translated preaching here is the word euangelion, or the word for evangel, evangelizing. That's what they were doing. They were showing that Jesus, this crucified carpenter of Nazareth of Galilee, was the very person that everything that these Sadducees and these priests had done for centuries had pointed to Christ and they had missed it. We're reaching now a, a point of no return. If they don't quell this particular movement, which is meeting right there in Solomon's porch all day long, almost every day, and growing daily, right there under the view of the Tower of Antonio where the Roman guard looked down upon the pavement, if they don't stop it now, they're not going to be able to stop it. And it's reached the point where people are beginning to realize that it was we who condemned and crucified him. It was our very own high priest said that he must die for the people. We were the ones that cried, crucify, crucify him. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Herod said, he's your problem. But we crucified him. Peter had already told him, you by wicked hands have crucified and slain the son of God. The best they could do was to shut them up. <laughs> if they could just give them orders to cease and desist. But the answer that Peter gave to the president of the Sanhedrin, the high priest that day was, we ought to obey God rather than man. <laughs> By the way, Plato tells us that was the same thing Socrates said when he stood condemned. If you think Socrates is the personification of the wise man, think of Christ and think of these apostles. Jesus had warned them this day would come. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you're going to say. And if you'll study the, the, the things that Peter said in these very Pentecost sermon, the sermon before the before the Sanhedrin in his first defense, the one we read today briefly. If you'll look at these defenses that Peter made as he stood there facing the same people that had the power to crucify him, to stone him at least. And yet it was bold. It was unflinching. It was unretracted and unamended. It was the stark strong, saving gospel. That's why the angel in releasing them said, go preach life. Go preach life. Moses had urged the people in his day, choose life that you may live. And that's the gospel message. 
Choose life that you may live. And repeatedly, over and over every day, they would preach this gospel and more and more people would be converted. And that sequence of events has not stopped for 2,000 years. The Lord adds to His church daily those who are being saved. At one point along the line, He added you to His church. And He keeps on adding to his church, bringing in another living stone and placing it in the place it needs to be. Building his holy temple. And he does it in the face of the mockers and the ridiculers. Peter earlier quoted Psalm 2 where it asked the question, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing and why do the people take counsel against God's anointed? That's exactly what happened with this group. That's what they did with Pilate and Herod when they condemned and crucified Jesus. And now that's what they're doing with the apostles. They imprisoned them peacefully. Then they were going to have a trial the next day and they gathered everybody together. The language here means that it was an official hearing they were not gathered just as the committee of the whole, but they were gathered together as a, as a duly constituted body. They were senatorial in their gathering. They were, they were there to try and condemn, to sentence, and to execute. And the more they heard from Peter, the madder they got. They were angered. And it was a wise old Pharisee, not Sadducee, but a Pharisee, Gamaliel, who brought peace to the meeting by dismissing the apostles, the accused, and then having consultation and given advice. And his advice was that which was, goes back in rabbinic history all the way back to the days of Ezra. This is rabbinic wisdom. This is Jewish wisdom. If it is of man, it will fail. If I was a preacher, I'd preach on that. If it were of, is of man, of human origin, it will fail. If it's of human energy, it will fail. If it's of human purpose, it will fail. But if it is of God, you can't stop it. Boy, how near to the kingdom was old Gamaliel. That was Paul's uh, tutor, by the way, his teacher uh, in his rabbinic studies. And the Sanhedrin recognized the wisdom of that council. So they didn't, they didn't stone them. They just gave them the same order they'd given them earlier. Cease and desist. Do not speak again in this name, this powerful name of Jesus, this saving name of Christ. And they beat them. <laughs> they just couldn't keep their hands off of them. The anger was so intense. The hostility against God and His Christ was so intense that they just had to do something. So they pulled out the old cat of nine tails and gave them the 39 lashes. An old tough Peter, a fisherman, walked out of there singing praises because he now knew what it was like to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering.